Welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson are brothers and business partners of the top landscaping company, Nature's Experts. Nature's Experts is home to six companies that cater to all your outdoor needs. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan, simply visit us at www.naturesexperts.com. On the podcast, Jeff and Jonathan bring together other business owners and entrepreneurs to share with you how they developed a prosperous company and how you can too. You will gain insights and meaningful advice on creating the building blocks to success and longevity in the entrepreneurial realm. And now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. Carol, welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. Happy to have you here this morning and learn a little bit about you and your journey of being an immigration attorney and how you've really helped people and how you can continue to help people through uh, getting them to become a citizen. So I'm kind of excited to see how this this process works a little bit because being in the landscaping field specifically, there's lots of people that are obviously immigrants that work in our particular field. And obviously, it'd be nice for myself to know a little bit of how the process works. So maybe I can help guide them better. Sure. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Carol, um, we run six companies. We have approximately 200 employees. Uh, in our field, I'm sure you you know by practicing uh, what you've done for how many years? 25 years I've been wow. in a training. So you've come through, you've gone through a lot and seen a lot of people with a lot of precarious situations. We don't put ourselves in the same position that other landscape companies, tree companies that are in our sort of space do. We don't hire people that are illegal and that don't actually like um, have you know reasonable documentation to work here in the United States. But I know that it is a major issue in our industry. A lot of companies pay and people with cash and do all of that sort of thing. Have you seen that very widespread in, in our particular industry? So I get calls often from folks specifically in your industry, um, constructions, another industry where I see it yeah. a lot where roofing. Yeah. Where companies are really looking to hire people. They find it hard to hire people. They find it hard to find the right people. Yeah. Um, so they reach out to me because they have found their ideal candidate or the person maybe that is been working for them for a couple of years comes to them and says, Hey, by the way, you know, I'm here, but I'm here undocumented. Can you help me get my papers? Can you help me fix my right. situation? Right. Um, so I do, I do see that quite a bit. I do see that quite a bit. And I will say, unfortunately, the immigration laws have not caught up with the reality of how right. businesses are are running and and what businesses need. Um, our immigration system, from an employment perspective, really focuses on and really looks at individuals and gives them more opportunity and more options if they have a bachelor's degree or higher. And so that truly, leaves out folks like you guys. Did it truly get tougher when Trump became was president? Because I know prior to that, although the general public, so I'm including myself, was under the impression that there was sort of like standards and laws and rules prior to Trump. And during Trump, it was changed. I remember everyone was like very, they were all very scared or something at the time. I remember seeing that a lot on TV and hearing about that. And then since then, it's been changed again with Biden. Is that all true or how did that all go? So the way that I kind of describe it is <laughs> under the Trump administration, there were a lot of policy changes. Sometimes it felt like they were coming out almost daily. Yeah. Um, but it takes 
the immigration service is a massive, massive organization. They have offices quite literally across the country. So it takes a while for an idea or a policy to make it literally from Washington, D.C., to then spider out across the rest of the country. So people were really kind of living in a bit of a tailspin because with social media and with just the immediacy that we can get information and things can be pushed out, we were hearing about a new policy or we were hearing about the thought of a new policy coming down. And so I heard about it, you know, other immigration attorneys heard about it. Our clients heard about it. Our potential clients heard about it. You guys heard about it. But when it comes to the officers who are spread out across the country, actually getting guidance from headquarters on how they're going to implement this new policy, that's what takes time. So there was always, there was always a new idea. There was always a new policy, but then there was always a lag between how quickly they could actually implement that. So people were really living in this kind of roller coaster situation where I would get calls and they'd be like, but I just heard about this and I just read this tweet and I'm like, okay, I get that. But that was a tweet that was sent around midnight. It's now eight o'clock in the morning. Zero has changed, right? Like while we were sleeping, zero has changed in terms of how things are going to be adjudicated and processed. So we did see a lot of change. Um, You know, we did see what some people consider an assault on individuals that were here without authorization, but every single presidential administration has had to deal with immigration. Every single one. I just Um, wonder if it was drastic because of Trump, because everyone was like, it was drastic in that there were a lot of changes. Yeah. But honestly, that's one of the reasons why I like immigration because it is always changing. So, you know, oh, that's we have cool. president now and there are, there are changes, you know, so there's yeah. always going to be changes. I just think we saw a lot of them coming fast and furious with the, you know, with the Trump administration and some of those ideas didn't come to fruition. So, so very, very, very interesting. Uh, and the thing is that really does make sense. I think across any field specifically, you know, an idea and a concept, <clears throat> an ideal world, a wall, anything like that. None of it happens particularly overnight. So I think so. let's kind of get into, it'd be interesting to go through what is the actual process. So somebody knows anyone who is in manufacturing, anyone who's in landscaping, anyone who has a high labor business is ideally dealing with some form of legal and illegal immigrants, whether you know it or not. Um, so what is the actual process of actually becoming a citizen, actually? So myself, I actually understand it because I've never actually ever been walked through the entire process of how long it takes, what you have to do, the cost, and your eligibility to even be able to do it. Sure. So for folks like you guys that are hiring folks for positions that don't specifically require a bachelor's degree. It's a different process than for individuals where their positions do require a bachelor's degree. So for your folks specifically, um, a lot of times you're going to, you may start with just straight away a green card. Um, And so that process can take years, quite honestly. Um, I literally just had this conversation yesterday with a a client. Someone could be in the country Mm-hmm. They just fly into the country, right? Walk in. Doesn't <laughs> they, they come into the country in any form or fashion for holiday. They just stay, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're like, oh, you know what? I really like it in America. I want to stay. <clears throat> I'm going to you know, ship all my stuff over here. 
So they wouldn't actually be really eligible to work for how long then? Because they need a green card to technically start working, correct? So they may, in in that scenario, they may not ever be eligible to work, quite honestly. So if someone comes into the US, let's say they come in as a visitor, they come in lawfully. Um, if they overstay, meaning let's say the government, when they come come in, they get 90, 60 or 90 days. Once they overstay that, which is going to have to happen at some point, right? In the scenario that you've set up, they're going to overstay that time. Once they do that, their options are significantly limited, um, which is why when people call me and they're still in status and they have an employer, um, if it's not something where I can get them a temporary work authorization, I always recommend that they leave because the second you overstay, you limit your options. So the government some, does not look positively on overstaying. No, the government does not look positively on someone overstaying at all. So if someone is over, if they've overstayed their visa, um, there in some instances are waivers and a waiver is simply that the individual requesting of the government that they, um, waive their time that they have spent either in the U.S. out of status or in the U.S. and working without authorization. So waivers become very complicated because in many of those waivers, they have to show that there is a family member that will be irreparably harmed if they are if they are forced to go back home, i.e. if they are deported. And that's, that's a really high bar. That bar is not yeah, like you need to have like a, a senile, like relative that is going to fall over and die if you're not here. I mean, kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the more dire the situation at home, frankly, the better when it comes to requesting the government, the federal government, forgive your time here out of status. So it's really difficult, quite frankly, for individuals that are here without status to then apply for status. What if you're so here unlawfully, say, though? What, so let's you say, said, let's she take said one lawfully. step back then. So sure. you do come here. Let's say you've been here for years and then you're like, all right, I'm going to go back and then I'm going to come back and then I'm going to say that I want to apply for my green card. But were you here time. lawfully, though? I was going to ask her about well, no, like you, you. She said the best thing to do is if you've been here for too long is right. to actually leave. Right. Well, not necessarily. So if you have overstayed your visa, and you've overstayed it for roughly six months, 180 days. If you then leave the US, you are barred from coming back in for three years. If you wow. overstay your time for 365 days and then you leave, you're barred for coming back for 10 years. So wow. when people call me and they say, I'm currently in status, I am here. What does in status mean? What does in status so mean? In status means you have come into the U.S., you've flown, Lawfully. you've crossed the border, you've come in with a visa. Uh-huh. The government has looked at your passport and says you can stay for X number of days. Got it. That's so in let's status. Say, right. Okay. So let's say X number of days is 90 days. If the government says you can stay for 90 days, if you call me on day 60, like what should I do? I found this employer. I want, you know, I found this great landscaping company. They're willing to hire me. That process of applying for a green card is going to take years. So it doesn't make sense for you in most cases to stay here while that application is being processed. Because if something happens in that application and it's denied, then you are now here without authorization. So if someone's here lawfully, I always recommend if our only option is a green card, 
that you go back home. That way we're working with a clean slate with the immigration service. So the immigration service can see that you have come into the U.S. as a visitor, then you've left on time. So you're, you are, you are following the rules. And then we process your entire green card application while you're outside of the country. And so while that works from an immigration perspective, that is a very difficult thing for business owners yeah, sure. who need to staff, who need to add value. Like who's willing to wait for members. someone for years to come work at a landscape company. Correct. And that's why I say the immigration service hasn't caught up with simply the reality of running a business. People can't wait for years, you know, it's, and it's from a, from, from the immigrants perspective, if they take their chances and they come in and they overstay and maybe they are eligible for a waiver, right. They live their life with this base level of anxiety that the immigration service is going to come knocking on their door at any moment. And that's just, that's just a base level of anxiety that permeates their entire existence. They are paid in cash. They are afraid to drive fast because they're afraid to get pulled over. They're afraid to get pulled over because that may mean they may not only get a traffic infraction, right? They may then get arrested and, you know, and have to deal with just the regular, you know, court system for, for being pulled over, maybe driving without a license. But then there's also anxiety that they may be put into deportation proceedings. So it's just that the immigration service hasn't, hasn't really focused on individuals who are valuable team members, but where the position doesn't require a bachelor's degree or high. What if you come into the United States unlawfully? Your options are very limited. Your options are even more limited. limited. Yeah, absolutely. Which I realize that they would be. Yeah. But are they limited or you have none? I mean, one is limited, one's none. They are, I'm going to say they're limited. So folks that come into the U.S. unlawfully are typically not part of my practice. So I work a lot with companies that are looking to hire folks that have degrees. And then I work with families who are looking to sponsor their, you know, their, their family members, like their children, yeah. their spouses. So, but folks that come in and cross the border and don't have status as of the time they come in, they may be eligible for asylum. And that honestly is a whole world that I don't know about. Like it's a whole legal world that I don't handle. It's a very, like immigration is very siloed in in the options that we have for people um, coming in through different ways and coming in from different countries and coming in with different circumstances. And so there's a whole cadre of immigration attorneys who handle asylum work and they are amazing. They are some amazing attorneys out there. It's just, it's just not a part of my daily practice. Wow. It's like landscaping. People think it's like one general thing and then you do everything, but there's definitely different segments and differently mm-hmm. specialty niches that like different companies have like us. Sure. Like we have what like, we do like high-end and ultra high-end, mostly residential, mm-hmm. some commercial, but mostly residential. It's high-end and ultra high-end. People think, oh, well, would you do this or would you do that? But it's, we specialize in what we specialize in and obviously immigration me being ignorant also about what you do is thinking, oh, an immigration attorney helps someone like you were just clarifying whether they come in legally or mm-hmm. uh, lawfully or unlawfully. I didn't know that. So it's super interesting, I think, for me and everybody listening. Yeah. So let's continue to travel this unbelievably complicated process. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So somebody hypothetically comes here lawfully. 
Mm-hmm. And within 90 days, they just say, you know what? I love it here. I'm mm-hmm. going to file for my green card. I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to go back to my country or yep. girl. And then I'm going to wait multiple years. So why does it take multiple years? And how much is it going to cost them? So multiple years, because you have three different applications that need to be dealt with. So the first is dealing with Department of Labor, very high level. The company goes out to Department of Labor and says, I want to hire this person to do X. And Department of Labor says, great, here's a whole process. Make like make it happen. So you go out to the Department of Labor, you re- request from them what's called a prevailing wage. Um, we get that prevailing wage back. The company says, all right, I can absolutely pay that wage. That's not a problem. Then the company has to advertise for that position. Department of Labor tells us exactly how we have to advertise. We have to show the Department of Labor that even you've already have, found your candidate. Even if you've already found your candidate. So What's the point of that, what's the point of advertising that you found your candidate? The Department of Labor's job in this scenario is to protect the U.S. worker. That's their sole mission. Oh, so they'd want you to advertise to see if you get a better candidate. They want you to advertise to see if you can find a qualified U.S. citizen or current green card. That's what I mean. Right. Exactly. Okay. So their mission in this particular application is to absolutely protect the U.S. worker and to make sure that you're not trying to bring in someone who's not a U.S. citizen and pay them a lower wage. That's their role in this process. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the employer then advertises for the position. Um, If they find someone, they can certainly hire that U.S. citizen in addition to the, you know, in addition to the national. That's totally fine. So then we wait for that. That gets approved. Then we go to the immigration service and we say, hey, immigration service, we've gone to Department of Labor, Department of Labor agrees with us that we haven't found anybody that we, you know, that we are going to pay the prevailing wage and that we did the proper amount of advertising and the timeframes and all of that. We're done with that. So the immigration service says, okay, great. Now let's start with us. The immigration service, their role in this particular application is does the individual that you want to hire, who's now currently overseas, do they meet your minimum requirements? Right. So if you need two years of experience, or you need six months of experience, or you need experience doing A, B, or C, does the individual that you want to hire have that experience? And can you, as the business, afford to pay them? So once we get over that hurdle, we're like, okay, great. Here's where, here's now where we potentially wait. So this third part of the process is, okay, we've gotten through the Department of Labor. We've gotten through step number one with the immigration service. By the way, how much, what's the duration of time that's gone by with those two, the two hurdles? So currently it is taking about two years to get through Department of Labor because it is the advertising. It is. Well, it's taking the Department of Labor currently a year to tell us what the prevailing wage is. And then once we get the prevailing wage, yeah. we start advertising. We can do tight advertising in about 60 to 90 days. And then once we file the application, Department of Labor is taking another year to process the applications. Can you believe this? Right. So two years just for that. Two years just for Department of Labor. And immigration. Then we go to immigration. They're currently... This is why there's such a controversy on immigration. Yeah. Because if you yeah. can so easily is- come across the border... 
Why is it so difficult to even do it the right way? That's where the unjust nature of the conversation is. This is definitely a part of it, right? Because when I say this to employers, they're like, hold up. Like they said, they say to me exactly what y'all just said. They're like, wait a minute. So two years just, and I'm like, two years just to get out of the Department of Labor. That is if everything moves along like perfectly, seamlessly with no issues. Okay. Then immigration. So how long does that take? So they're taking roughly maybe six months right now, maybe right. a little bit longer. That depends on the location of the business, frankly. So there are offices all over the country and it'll depend on the jurisdiction. But I tell people we'll go about a six months. Some of those applications we can ask the government to expedite um, and we'll get a response from them in 15 days. So that, you know, so that kind of cuts off some time. Sure. But then we start working with the consulates. Here's the issue though. Every year, the government is only allowed to approve a certain number of green card applications worldwide. What's the number? Oh, I have no idea what it is, to be honest with you. That that would be interesting if you knew the number that were approved in verse of how many people are potentially coming into the country. I wonder. And that's why this is a thing for exactly what you said. So they're only allowed to approve a certain number every year. We have many more applications in the pipeline that have currently been filed and are waiting to be processed than that number every single year. Oh boy. So the I government also wonder how the number, if you look at it again, so mm-hmm. the amount of this is totally unrelated to immigration, but it's 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 quasi related to the workforce, so to speak. Sure. Number of people in which have kids, and then the quantity of kids, and then the type of people who have kids is particularly going down. So, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of people who have one kids, two kids, three kids, four kids, like it used to be much more popular to have a larger family mm-hmm. than it is now. So I wonder how the ratio of immigration versus actual, you know, regular general growth population and that working together works. Right. And that, and that it all supplies the labor force for the future growth of America, ultimately. Sure. If everyone doesn't have kids, we're, who's going to do the work ultimately, eventually, at one point? So the robots. Le- right, exactly. <laughs> God yeah. forbid. Yeah, yeah. So leaving out the fee for you. Well, robots don't need immigration, just so you know. That wouldn't be good for you either. Fair. <laughs> leaving, leaving out the fee for you for a moment. Sure. Uh, what is the fee that the Department of Labor, mm-hmm. immigration, mm-hmm. and then now... Um, the consulate. The consulates. Mm-hmm. What is that total amount of money. And I'm going to, I'm asking you that. And then I have a follow-up question on that or sure. comment. So department of labor right now has no fee for their process. Immigration service. I think the fee is about 700 mm-hmm. and then the consulate fee, I think is about roughly about 400. The reason I asked is obviously just the, the people, fees are around $2,000. No, 1100. Because yeah, there's no fee for the Department of Labor. 700, 400. 700, 400. Yeah. But the thing is, John, here's the thing that I'm thinking. So if they want to cut down on like the people coming in here, you know, so to speak, if you have that kind of a president and they want to raise money because the government always is looking to get money, why don't they just raise the fees exponentially and the Department of Labor can start charging something but mm-hmm. all of them should, you'd have to pay so much more money in order to come here. Well, because it would have to be twofold. It would have to be 
you could quadruple the rate if you cut the if you cut the cycle into a quarter. Not necessarily. I mean, the truth is they want to raise money. I'm saying that they that would money. be a reasonable ask, though, because if typically somebody says if you raise, why wouldn't the they rate? do something so simple like that? Like raise the fees so that the government well, not- makes more money or those departments make more money, and then it also can cut down on the amount of people. That are flooding in here, and eventually, I think it won't it's such be quite a hot as many. It's not supposed be, to be solved. It won't be quite as many, to, you know, applications. I don't think it's supposed to be a profit center. It's it's like such a immigration, such a hot button. It's not particularly supposed to be solved. It's supposed I, I to kind know. of you know, you know meander a, this line of. I, I don't know. That's BS to me because you know what, the burden always ends up uh, on the United States taxpayer. Are paying all of the money that the federal government spends, and the federal government can be raising money from people who aren't even in this country, and we could be taking in much more money. I mean, not that it's going to make like this unbelievable dent in what we pay, but it's everything is something. Well, you know, it'd be an interesting idea is if there was like a a holding tax. So if you are here over the amount of days that you are here, but you still want to be considered eligible, yeah, make them pay. And if you don't pay, then you can't come back. I mean, well, I will say this. Currently, the the Immigration Service, USCIS, is a fee-based agency. So what that means is they actually get very little money from Congress. So the entire agency runs on the fees mm. collected from the individuals. So mm. in that sense, the taxpayers aren't paying, aren't really like that taxpayer dollar. Yeah, but really- the money that Congress is still allocating to them could maybe be eliminated if they'd raise their fees. But that's the thing. Vis-a-vis the other agencies, Congress doesn't allocate a ton of money to the immigration service. But the some. immigration service, some, but certain nowhere near their entire operating budget. No, oh, no, of course. But I'm saying it, it just start eliminating, like I said before, I specifically said, it's not like it's going to make this enormous dent in it. But if you can start mm-hmm. just filling some of those holes... You know what I mean? In that bucket that is like drained with the money that the taxpayers pay. And if even if they allocate $5 billion, which isn't even a lot of money for the government to spend, mm-hmm. instead of 50, $500 billion, what they usually do with different, you know, different things, they, they throw out this amount of money like it's nothing. It just adds up $5 billion here, $2 billion here, $10 billion here. You know, it just starts adding up to where at least the United States taxpayer feels like, gosh, you know, at least like living here is more of a privilege because just to get here, to actually become a United States citizen, not only do you have to wait, but it costs money. It costs well, a lot of money. I think that's the component is that it's supposed to mean a lot to be here because it takes so long, but it also can mean a lot to be here if it costs a lot too. I yeah. feel like those are the two, Yeah, you know, those are the two ways to quote pay. It's either you pay with your time or you pay with actual, you know, dollars. I think in that respect then immigrants and the companies that hire them or their family members yeah. that sponsor them are waiting and they are paying. So in January, the immigration service released a proposed rule that would have them increase their, increase their filing fees. Oh, okay. So, and those, you know, and they increase their filing fees periodically to cover their costs of running the agency. Um, the comment period just ended on the 13th. Congress isn't giving month. them. Right. Because Congress gives them very little money. Very to little money. So every periodically they raise the filing fee rates and they do a whole economic statistical analysis, which is far over my non-math loving head, mm-hmm. but they say they do it. And so they come up with fees 
that help them run the agency. So what, what, what do you charge per hour to these people that are trying to stay here lawfully? So I don't charge by the hour. Um, it's very rare that I charge by the hour. Most of my fees are flat fees. Um, okay. And what is that flat fee? Like, what does it cover? If they say, well, if I pay you X that covers mm-hmm. what? So it really depends on what our strategy is and how complex their case is going to be. Give us a scenario that you went through recently and what you charged and what your responsibilities are to that. Sure. So I had a client that has a robust company outside of the United States. They are expanding into the United States. So they don't currently have a U.S. presence. They don't currently have a U.S. office, you know, the work that it takes to get them into the United States probably took us a, probably about a year once we'd gotten everything strategized. They had set up the company, got it running. My fee for them was about was between six to ten thousand dollars. Okay, so six to ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and then that's to help them with everything that you did for them to be in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But how about individuals? What's the difference with you? That's a company. What about individuals? So my individuals, the folks that I work with are typically going to be a U.S. citizen that's looking to sponsor a family member. So whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, um, so let's say they're sponsoring their parent to come and, you know, stay with them forever. Um, you know, they've been separated. That is, again, strategizing their case, figuring out what the, you know, what the pain points are going to be. So they're probably going to be between four to eight thousand, depending on how complicated and their the complica- complexity. Are. Sure. Mm-hmm. And is how- it a lot of actually selling your case, or is it paperwork back and forth with like paragraphs and details? Of Good question. Why, yeah, are you a salesman? Or- are you a salesman? Yeah. Or- I am more of a storyteller. So immigration, like any other area of the law, is about telling someone's story and showing how their story meets the rules and the requirements. And the decision makers are reading these stories. Yes, that is their reading these stories. I would think Mm -hmm. that it would, it was just all based upon time facts, you know, statistical things, height, weight, age, you know, if you had shots, if you had this, but I I think the immigration process, I would think it's, it's human capital, so to speak. And what does this person bring to the United States? It's, their job to obviously making sure that they're bringing in higher quality people, which is the reason why she said that there's a different process for people who have graduate degrees versus mm-hmm. people who don't have graduate degrees, which I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the process is simplified when you have advanced education. I don't know that I would say anything in immigration is sim- simple. How about expedited? How about expedited. 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 Yeah. There you go. A lot of uh, several of the employment-based applications can be expedited. So expedited in our world is either 15 calendar days or 45, ca- 45 calendar days. And how is it expedited? Money? Money. Because of what John... Oh, okay. Or, or Money outside. and the length of time the government takes to process the application. So for some applications, we can request expedited processing. We pay an extra fee. So let's again, say- the, the United States is looking to capture very talented people to come and to help our economy ultimately. I think that was part of she didn't indicate that. She said that they read these stories. I'm talking about people who have graduate degrees and advanced levels of education. Do they care about that? 
Well, that's the two categories. There's, there's, there are, know, but do so they care about that really? There are categories that require people to have bachelor's degrees or master's degrees, and some people can have advanced degrees. The more education you have, if you find an employer that has a position that requires those or where it is helpful to have those degrees, their process is different than someone that doesn't. Is it faster? That's the question. Not necessarily. It depends on whether or not they have an option to request expedited treatment of their application. So that's too bad because I think you're I think you're saying, John, that it would be of a benefit to the country to have people who were of higher education or have attained more uh, to well, be are, more valuable. And the government doesn't place an importance on that, according to what Carol's saying. Well, no, she said that it it does, but it's it's specific. It depends on the situation. No, it's just per company. It's if the, if a company has that position and those those skills or level of smarts is required, but the government isn't uh, making any initiative toward that. Am I wrong? Every for the applications that can be expedited, not all of them require a bachelor's degree, and so there's nothing I would say that is fairly simple and straightforward within the immigration world. But you know, like for instance, in Japan, forget immigration for a minute, put that aside. In Japan, you know, they say it's reported all the time, and they say that in Japan, they, they everyone there, you know, education is so important. They want the government, you even hear about that the government wants everybody to, you know, achieve, achieve, achieve. So here, it seems like it's the same. It seems like, I mean, excuse me, it seems the opposite. It seems like, you know, it's not really looked upon as something like they, everyone can talk the talk, but the government doesn't walk the walk. They're not like, you know, like making it like putting any money behind or putting any like grit behind what they're saying. They're just saying, yeah, that'd be great if you did, but it's not like they're doing anything to entice people or make it quicker for people, you know, who have a certain level of achievement of themselves to come into this country. I don't know that I agree with that. There are well, tell me. There so are I categories understand. specifically set out for individuals who have higher degrees or who have a bachelor's degree or higher. There are very specific categories set out for them. Are you, said that's categories, for companies. you said that's for individual companies though, right? Those, those are for the combination of the job offered and the education or experience required that the individual brings. So it is a pairing. It is a pairing of a company oh, okay. and an individual. Because you have to have okay. the, the job in which they're going to have is the important key to the factor because it, that's the part that's benefiting but then the what's American their public. reward? What reward does the government give them or that person for having more value, uh, more schooling or knowledge, more anything by going faster or what? The value that they receive is a yeah. different category of immigration. Uh-huh. The value is in some cases, those categories are quicker, not all the time. Okay. Okay. In some cases, although they are changing this now, they are eligible to apply for an expedited processing of their application. Okay. But you don't have to apply for your application to be expedited. Some people are, you know, if I speak with a company, they're like, I don't really need this person for six months, or this person's currently working overseas for us at our overseas entity. I don't really want to pay for expedited processing. That's fine. They're still qualified 
for that particular category. They're just saying, I can wait and not pay the expedite fee. Some companies say, you know what, Carol, I need this person like yesterday. And I'm like, okay, if you need, if you truly need them really yesterday, then we're going to pay the expedite fee. Okay. Um, So it's not that any of the categories are easier than others. They're all complex in their own way, but there is, there are more options for individuals that have a university degree. At, okay. at any level. I think that's there what you were absolutely more options for that. Originally, originally you were getting at. So I wanted to make and sure the that more, was the case. The more options comes with the option, not every time, but more of the time to be able to have the option of expediting. Absolutely. Yeah. The expediting started with applications for individuals who are coming to work in positions that required bachelor's degrees. I think what you do is super fascinating. (laughs) I really learned a lot by talking to you. And I have to say, I love your voice. I don't know what it is. Your voice is beautiful. I love listening to it, (laughs) the way you explain things. It's certainly like uh, interesting when you explain something, it's easier to pay attention because of the inflection in your voice. So thank you very much. No worries. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Sure. Carol, it has really been great having you on the show today. If you could please let everyone know how they can get in touch with you, that would be great. Sure. You can find me on all socials at USA Visa Guru. You can also give the office a call at 954-903-1337, or you can reach us at our website, www.clwimmigration.com. Awesome. Carol, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. This has been the Cultivating Success Podcast with Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan and their businesses, visit www.naturesexperts.com.